we are in the middle of footnote eight. And what footnote eight, just to go back for a second, is he's describing how when we read the Torah, we have to read it as the Torah, the instruction, guiding, directing us within God's world and among humanity, making our inner self come alive, right? So we're in the middle of that footnote. It was a long footnote. And he was describing the importance of making sure that the Torah is understood from itself and using its own principles, as opposed to looking outward to external sources to try to get a deeper understanding of the Torah. Um, you know, actually, we're, we're going to skip the end of that because the end of that gets a little bit down into the weeds, describing uh, how people sometimes think that Rav Hirsch bases himself on contemporary German philosophers and showing how they're not, they're not actually true. And he doesn't base himself on contemporary German philosophers, but rather bases himself on ideas as expressed in the words of Chazal, in the words of our wise ones, but not in the words of, not, not based on philosophy. Okay, so let's go back to the text. Um, so let us place ourselves within Judaism at the bottom of page 15 and ask ourselves, what kind of people are they who accept this book as the God-given basis and way of life? As for our understanding of the scope and contents of the mitzvot, we must approach them in the same spirit as Jews. That is basing our investigation on the oral and written law. At all times, however, we must keep in mind the intent of this entire system to provide instruction on living. This is a very important point right now. If people will think of the Torah as, even if it is an, an instruction booklet and it's an instruction manual and a very detailed and very disciplined instruction manual. But if you don't put it into practice, then you'll never understand the effects of the Torah. Because a lot of these effects only happen, they don't necessarily happen to you out of a very rational way. But when you engage in certain behaviors and you engage in these behaviors continuously and they become habitual for you, it changes who you are as a person. So, but without ever engaging in them, you'll never know that, right? So someone who is trying to figure this out on a very rational level to, doesn't make sense for me to keep the Torah beforehand, right? And they haven't yet ever experienced a, a life cycle, not a life cycle, let's say a yearly cycle of the Torah, right? It's really hard for them to picture it because some of these things just seem so abstract and esoteric. But when someone puts it into practice and starts living their life according to the instructions of the written and oral Torah in tandem, they will notice a difference in who they are. Only after you have gained your knowledge about Judaism this way, after you have come to know it as it presents itself, if you should then find it untenable and objectionable, only then may you, if you wish, cast stones upon it, right? Pretty strong words, right? So he's saying, I'm, I'm willing to stick, you know, we're willing to gamble on this, right? If you're truly uncomfortable with Judaism after you have a deep understanding from the inside workings of Judaism, and you still say, Benjamin, that you are ready to leave Judaism behind, by all means, throw stones at it. The idea of using this kind of language in the footnotes he, he speaks out, this is actually something that we have already from Elijah at Mount Carmel. When Elijah issues his famous, you know, gauntlet to the idols of Baal, right? Not the idols, I'm sorry, to the priests of Baal, which was the main idol at that time in Canaan. And many of the Jews were worshiping the idols and also worshiping God. They were basically hedging their bets. So Elijah basically throws down the gauntlet and says, hey, listen, guys, let's go. It's time to do whatever. Make your, make your choice, right? And part of what that means is you might make your choice to go after Baal, but that's okay. Just make your choice one way or the other. In other words, there's a confidence that they know 
that the choice is going to be if you actually go through the go through the system and figure out what the Torah wants from you. Or in the case of Elijah at Mount Carmel, if they bring the offerings, they will recognize once and for all that the Torah is true and that God is God. And if they do that, then of course they will make the correct choice. So you're willing to say, go ahead, do whatever it is that it takes. If you want to throw it away, try to throw it away after you actually invest the time to understand it properly. Furthermore, we must read the Torah in Hebrew according to the spirit of this language. It describes objects sparingly, but the multiplicity of meanings conveyed by its verbal roots is such that it graphically depicts the subject in one word. This is a very important point about, about Hebrew. And it's hard to really translate all the nuances. It's always hard to translate nuances from any language to another, but Hebrew in particular is very difficult to really convey all the different thoughts and all the different meanings into a different language. I come across this weekly, multiple times a week. I, I do many classes in English, either from you know a source that's really Hebrew, and then we read it straight from the English. And, and there's so much that we miss out on because we don't read it from the original Hebrew. So if you want to read the Torah and truly gain a sense of what the instruction manual is trying to tell you, you have to read it in the original. Predicate is joined to subject and sentence follows sentence. But the listening soul is expected to be so watchfully intent that by its own effort, it will supplement what is not spelled out. It is, as it were, semi-symbolic writing. So what you're listening to, it, it, it's, it's poetry, but it's poetry in the original is very different than poetry translated. And it's not just what you hear, it's also what you don't hear, right? It's the rhythms that you're able to find, and you're able to find these rhythms in the original Hebrew. You're not able to find them when it's not the original Hebrew. Accordingly, we must read with an alert eye and ear, the mind roused to full activity. Nothing is spun out for us at length so that we could, so to speak, absorb it while daydreaming, right? What does he mean? He means sometimes you go to hear a lecture from someone, right? We were just talking about this this week in the Jewish Study Network, right? So sometimes you listen to a podcast, right? And many people's podcasts, you can listen to it on double speed. Why? Because they're going to repeat the point anyways, right? So you listen on double speed, maybe you didn't catch it fully the first time, but the next time around, you're going to catch it. You know they're going to say it twice. And then there are those rare individuals who are so effective at communicating that indeed they only say their point once and that's it. You miss it, it's too late. You can't listen to those people on double speed. You gotta listen like 1.25, 1.5. Double speed is just not gonna do it. Right? So the Torah is similar to that. The Torah is not giving you four different opportunities to get the same point. The Torah is conveying you the message, get it, right? So you gotta concentrate. By definition, you're gonna have to concentrate. You can't just let it be absorbed as you sit there and think about some other things. You have to actually be fully present in the moment and focused. We must endeavor to recreate in our mind the speaker's ideas and seek to follow his trend of thought or else the meaning will escape us. Another important point. So not only is this a poetry, right? And it doesn't translate well into other languages, but it's not just that. It's also, it's gotta be a holistic approach to the entire Torah. And you have to be thinking about all the other places in the Torah where there's a similar idea. And only when you do that can you really get to, to the bottom of something. We had something like that today. We were doing a Talmudic passage with some high school boys. And the Talmud asks a question. How do we know that when it says eye for an eye in, in, um, in Exodus, it doesn't mean literally eye for an eye. And what the Talmud does is it brings a verse in Leviticus. And then it brings another verse in Numbers. And it says you put these three verses together and then you understand that it's not meant to be understood literally. Now, if you don't have everything in front of you, right, like an open book, it's not going to work. You're not going to have those three sources that seem contradictory. Everything has to be one, one uh, 
cohesive mass, so to speak, one cohesive unit, or else it's just not possible. The same applies to our comprehension of the mitzvos when they assign a purpose to a particular object or ordain a symbolic observance. In the former case, we have to investigate analytically the connection between the object and its purpose. And in the latter, we have to try to understand the significance of the action, considering its intent and context, okay? So the Torah sometimes tells us to do specific actions, right? And the actions are supposed to be done with a specific item, right? Or perhaps the Torah tells us to do a symbolic observance, like a symbolic observance would be a sukkah, right? Or um, Passover, right? These are symbolic observances to try to put us back in a moment. Now, to understand that fully, you have to look at all the places in the Torah where the Torah describes that mitzvah and then figure out by context what the Torah is trying to get us to feel and try to get us to experience as we do these mitzvahs. And we only look in the Torah itself. We don't look in what does Aristotle say about a similar idea that could then help give us context. That's not where you should be looking. You should not do that. You'd rather you should look at the context and the times and the intent of the Torah itself to try to understand the purposes of the mitzvot and the purposes of the symbolic observances.